It's so the servants filled the jars to the brim. Like they didn't just do it halfway. You know, if somebody asked me to do something, I'll be like, oh, fine. That's not true. Well, okay. When my wife asked me to wash the dishes. <laughs> okay, that's true. Go work in the yard. <laughs> I, I want to serve her with every ounce of my energy, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you do it. But if it's not your idea, you're kind of like, oh, I'll go along with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I say yes, but I really kind of mean mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. But these servants... Their response, I think, says something huge. They filled these huge jars to the brim. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast, and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Good afternoon, Matt Hook. Good afternoon, Marty. How are you? Dandy, doing fine. Yeah, I feel a lot good going on. Yeah, a lot going on in the world, a lot going on in your life and my life. And mm-hmm. you know what's what helps people? We weren't designed for giant chaos. We were designed to deal with what's in front of us, a small world, a community maybe that's about as big as you get. Mm-hmm. So I would just kind of implore people, don't get caught up in these big, big things. They're going on right now. And I know that you feel like it's your duty to stress about those things. There's plenty to stress about in your own community, in your own house, things that you can actually do something about besides complain or maybe a couple times a year carry a sign in protest. You know, I'm not saying those things, well, complaining I'm not a fan of, but, you know, protesting is an American thing. But I'm saying you're going to want to see some progress and some real problems. Otherwise, you're going to get angry and frustrated and um, hopefully not bitter Mm-hmm. You know, that's really, that was, my le- that was a lecture, wasn't it? I just, that was, no, no, it was <laughs> sheer truth pouring from your yeah. lips. It was amazing because it's, that's so my experience. I can get so paralyzed, you know, the old too much analysis creates paralysis. Well, mm-hmm. first of all, I'm not an, analyzing anything. I'm just taking it all in. You're interpreting, evaluating it. You know, it's not just neutral, like, oh, yeah. Afghanistan, oh, I feel nothing. You know, we, we, we naturally try to find some meaning. Right, right. And Haiti and floods and forest mm-hmm. fires and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that when it all piles on, we think it's all piling on everybody every time. And if we're reading it on social media, about the only thing we can do is click like. Mm-hmm. And we feel as though we've done something and that's, that's just not true. Yeah. You know who I like, uh, who had some wisdom around this, Mr. Rogers. What did he say? So Mr. Rogers said when he was a child, there was some type of, I don't know, some type of catastrophe or event that was going on on TV. And his mother told him, look for the helpers. If you do encounter that stuff, look for the helpers, you know, they, the, the, and those people who are doing these bad things, they don't need any more scorn. It wouldn't do anything but probably just embolden them to, uh, you know, strengthen their position. You know, right. if we're mean to, to, to people that we disagree with, you know, they're going to say like, see, this is why I'm the way I am, because people like you, uh, you're not my tribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's amazing that you said, look for the helpers, because today 
we're going to do sort of a deep dive into a simple Bible passage. And I want to do this on a couple levels. First of all, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Matt, can I give the title though to set it up? Sure. Because, because, because why are we doing that? Okay. We're doing that because I, I wanted to do scriptural verses that changed my life. And I want to hear about scriptural verses that changed your life, because if you really meditate on this, you can shift your entire worldview. And, and so much is to be gained if you read with you know, seriousness and attention to the scriptures. So I wanted to pick the ones that um, were, were the most important to me that I have to remind myself of if I stray from them. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. And, and I love this. You know, there's something that I say now, and it's we read the Bible, not because it tells us what happened, but because it tells us what always happens. Mm-hmm. They are more relevant overall than, than I ever would have imagined, even you know, going into ministry 25 years ago or whatever. There's a timelessness to them that's not just nostalgia, especially as you realize God with you, the Holy Spirit, God with you, opening them. And we can literally meet God in Scripture. Yes, I, I think that that's, I've said that before, I think that that's where, I, where he speaks to me the most. Yeah. Yeah. There's an ancient word for that. Lectio divina. What? Simply means divine study. Oh. Lectio, divine study. And what it, what the technique is, you read a smaller passage and it could Mm. be a word that gets infused with his spirit that speaks to your situation today. That's that's amazing. Cause I I just kind of did that naturally and I still do that. So if I'm reading prayers out of a prayer book um, and, and something you know, sticks a little bit, I'll just stop and try to wring as much meaning out of it as I can. Yeah. Yeah. It happens like that. And, and with scripture, especially now there's also something powerful about going through it with someone else or with Mm -hmm. a small group of people, because God's going to give you insight through the ideas of someone else. Can you say something about the attitude, though, that we take? Because it can, it does have the threat of turning you off, too, if you get the wrong type of mix in the group. Right, right. right? Um, so what's the attitude? If we're going to join with people and do exactly what you said, what's the right, the proper attitude? Mm-hmm. I think you have to realize people are people and that they might have a cool idea. It may or may not be true. So I, I want to say you have to take everything with a, a bit of a grain of salt. And not just jump all over it for good or or against what it is that they say. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. And you have to be patient with people. Yeah, I was going to say with the patience. And here's how to be patient with people, I think, the best way. Listen for understanding. If somebody says something that you find outrageous or that, that, that kind of lights up your amygdala and you feel like there's an actual threat because they said something, try to understand. Listen for understanding. Take their position, even steel man, their position, even if, and you can still disagree with them, but you'll feel better toward them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that helped me is this, uh, when you see somebody and you're really frustrated or you're wondering why they're saying what they're saying, you don't know their backstory and they could be operating out of their woundedness. I think that that's almost always the case. A lot of us are operating out of our woundedness. And if it's an unhealed wound, or an untouched wound, it's can be gaping. And I think there's, you know, the old adage, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And how do you want to relate to a wounded person? You want to kick them or do you want to help them? 
Well, sometimes I want to kick it, but mostly I want to help him. No, I'm well, the first, the first, yeah, no, no, but that's true. I mean, let's be honest there, but we got to get past that first thought or that first feeling because that's our natural self. That's our worldly self. That's our history. That's our conditioning. We have to, so don't feel too bad if you feel like that immediately, but it's our responsibility to move beyond. Right, that. right. And, and we can act and our attitudes can be almost a tourniquet, you know, when there's evil when there's woundedness and it's spewing out all over a friend group or all over a situation, if there is a way to staunch the bleeding, if there is a way to apply a tourniquet so that it is no longer gushing all over mm -hmm. the situation or gushing all over everybody, you need to find a way to do that. And sometimes it's, you know, us ourselves. And sometimes the best way to do that is to remove ourselves from the situation. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's necessary. To minimize <laughs> the damage. Yeah. So, yeah, but this is a story and, and it was interesting. Uh, Mr. Rogers words, look for the helpers mm -hmm. ties in with this amazing story. And it's actually, I think really a funny story. This is from John chapter two, you know, the Bible is 66 ancient documents. If you divide it in two parts, it's the old Testament and the new Testament. The old Testament is the Hebrew scriptures that our Jewish listeners or Jewish friends would claim. Now, some claim just the first five books, some claim the prophets and the wisdom literature as well. And the Bible was written over 1600 years in three different languages on three different continents. But what we're looking at is the gospel of John. The gospel means it's about the life of Christ. And the word gospel literally means good news. And so there's good news to be had in this. And, and it is no accident that the, the stories that were recorded, because there was a whole lot that wasn't recorded about who Jesus was, for example. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was the fourth of the gospels written. He would have had access to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he would have known those guys. And he's an old man. And he writes this gospel about Jesus. His audience was to Christians, to second generation, third generation Christians. Whereas Mark, the earliest of the gospels written, was written to the Romans. Matthew was written to the Jews. And Luke wrote to Greeks. So John is writing this gospel. It's different from the other three. And in it, he has this story, and it's really Jesus' first miracle, besides the miracle of him literally being born in the flesh, the word of God in the flesh. And it's a very normal event, which to me is a great reminder of where God tends to operate in the normal stuff, not in the rock concert, you know, not up on the mountaintop, but in the down and dirty daily mm -hmm. stuff that's going on in our lives. So I'm reading out of what's called the NIV, which is new international version of the Bible. And it was written originally in Greek. I'm reading it in English though. And it's John chapter two. You can Google it and find it that way. Or there's Bible apps or whatever. And it's just this really interesting story. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. So this is near his hometown. Cana would have been one of the small villages or towns around the Sea of Galilee, which is a large freshwater lake. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. It's kind of cool to know in the first century Palestine, weddings were, could last a week. These were huge events. So don't picture just like a U.S. wedding if you're listening from the U.S. This was a big deal. So Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And this is funny to me. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Like, seriously, mom, why are you bringing this problem to me? I'm just here enjoying myself. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So John's explaining this to another culture of people. And that's why he explains these are big jars that hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet like the MC of the banquet, the caterer almost. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, which is the groom. He called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But the Manischewitz. Yeah, yeah. The Manischewitz version. <laughs> this is Andre. Right. <laughs> but you've saved the best till now. And then John writes this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. The disciples, there was something that drew them to Jesus, but they're still like, who is this guy? Now, I, want, I would love just to break this down. There is so much in here, even though it sounds like just a really kind of lighthearted story. Okay, they're at a wedding. Jesus' mom's like, Jesus, they're out of wine, which doesn't seem like that big a deal to us, but the, you know, it came with shame for the family. And I don't think Mary was expecting Jesus to perform a miracle. I think she was just like, hey, what should we do? How can we help this family? And then Jesus says, what are you doing, mom? It's not my time yet. And I love verse five, like he says all this to Jesus and his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she completely ignores the fact that Jesus is annoyed with her. Yeah, she's in charge still. <laughs> Hit you with and, a spoon. Right, right. And, you know, history tells us that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, may have uh, been, may have died by now because he doesn't appear, you know, in, in this. Mm -hmm. And so she's probably used to helping having him solve problems. And he's like, mom, seriously, why do you involve me? Jesus replies, my time has not yet come. And his mother just keeps going. Mm -hmm. And she, she completely ignores Jesus and says to his servants, do whatever he tells you. That reminds me of my mom. Just a few months ago, I was up North visiting. We we're having dinner with my sister and her family, my mom and dad, and we ate so much. And I was staying at my mom and dad's and I said, mom, I have eaten so much. I don't want to eat breakfast tomorrow. And she said, good, I'll make you cinnamon toast. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, seriously, uh, yeah. you know, moms can get away with that, can't they? So all this practical stuff nearby, when his mom says to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. That's good advice, by the way. Do whatever he tells you. Great advice. Yeah. And check in to see if you're actually doing it. And not just the parts you like. Yeah. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. These are big jars for water. 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now go draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So somewhere in there, something happened. In the ordinary response of these servants, these helpers, like you said, look for the helpers. Mm -hmm. And there's some kind of miracle in that, in the idea of helping someone else. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them and they didn't just fill them part way. I would have been like, what are you doing? This is so irrelevant. This isn't going to get people wine. What are we going to do? Water down whatever wine is left, you know, try to pretend, get them to pretend that this water is wine. And that would have been my attitude. I'd have filled them, but I would have probably filled them a little tiny bit more than halfway, you know, like seriously, this is a waste of time. But maybe they took what Mary said, seriously, do what he tells you. And he says, fill the jars with water. Yeah. And for people who think that, you know, he was getting everybody drunk, uh, remember what you said. It was like a week long, right? So it's not right. like, let's, let's kill this bottle or this vat tonight and listen to some Skinnerd. Yeah. Some fog hat. <laughs> exactly. And so he says, fill the jars with water and listen to what the, it says. And I didn't even catch this for a long time. And this is what I mean by seeing God in, you know, certain words. It's so the servants filled the jars to the brim. Like they didn't just do it halfway. You know, if somebody asked me to do something, I'll be like, oh, fine. That's not true. <laughs> Well, okay. When my wife asked me to wash the dishes, <laughs> okay, that's true. Go work in the yard. <laughs> I, I want to serve her with every ounce of my energy, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you do it, but if it's not your idea, you're kind of like, oh, I'll go along with it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, I say yes, but I really kind of mean uh-huh. yes. But these servants heard him say, "Fill the jars with water," and and. Their response, I think, says something huge. They filled these huge jars to the brim. Then Jesus tells them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into the wine. Now, um, kind of explaining what was going on in the situation, he would have been there. He's, he said the master of the banquet didn't realize where the wine had come from, though the servants who had drawn the wine knew. There's something huge in that because I'm not naturally a servant. I get enthusiastic about stuff, but when it comes time to doing the dishes or cleaning up after everything, I'm just as happy to let somebody else worry about it. I used to be just as happy to let somebody else worry about it. But I think this is such a reminder that if you want to experience God, if you want to be in on stuff, if you want to be in the know, The only ones who knew what had happened, who had seen how God worked, who had some sense that Jesus is more than we could ever know, were the servants. Yeah. You know what? Um, Can I underscore a point you made earlier? Mm -hmm. This is why we study together. It's so rich. There's no way I can pull everything out of it. It's, it's, It's bottomless, right? I would have never taken that angle on, right? I would have seen something else. Yeah. Right? So you make Isn't a that cool. Point. It's very cool. Yeah. I read this through a few times and I've thought about it a lot because I just love the story. So I've thought of some of these things and I, and some of them were when I was reading this with some other people and they're like, Hey, look at 
what they did. They filled it to the brim. How often do I do that when I'm feeling obligated to do something, you know? So anyways, if I want to know if anything's jumping out at you about, about this or about a certain phrase or something like that. But I love that John points out the master of the banquet was clueless where the wine came from, but the servants knew. Sometimes we spend so much time thinking about our position. How many followers do we have? How many listeners do I have? How many people can I call? And it's back to the junior high. How popular am I? And we kind of position ourselves that way when all along, when it comes to a Christian worldview, the, there, there's these truths and they sound opposite of what we naturally think. The more you give, the more you receive. The greatest among you will be the servant of everything. Live by it, die by it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And how many times do we miss out on, all, on so much of life because we're just skimming through? Because I can't be bothered to stop. I can't be bothered to be not in the middle of the party where supposedly everything's going on, even though the wines run out, to be running backfill for the people who yeah. are partying. Yes. Yet this shows us that's where you see the real action. I have a patient that told me a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, every good thing that's ever happened to me happened while I was helping someone. And then went on to list what they were. Every good thing that ever happened to me is when I was, and, and that's true in my life. Absolutely. You know, this thing seemed to happen um, automatically, you know, the, the practice and things like that and, and me getting well and all of that stuff really happened when I was doing my best to help somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Look for the helpers. That's the, um, that's the power of how, what we were designed to do. Another thing that I love about it, um, let's talk about the helpers. They did what they could. They didn't have to create some miracle. They had to um, use their strength in a practical way. Fill this, these six massive jars. Was it six? Six stone jars. Six stone water jars that hold 30 gallons. That's an effort. And they had to draw the water out. They had to fill these jars, but it was totally practical. You know, a lot of us think we're going to grow spiritually. A lot of us think we're going to get healthy spiritually by just humming or by assuming a position or just by um, take, you know, running away from everything. But no, it's or just listening to music or just listening in to worship. Music. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. We're just on the receiving end. What, where, where they knew where they saw the miracle was when they put themselves out there, when they had served, um, when they had made it not about themselves. So first of all, it was a practical thing that they did. Mm -hmm. They obeyed. Yeah. Do whatever he tells you. Mm -hmm. Great advice, mom. Mm -hmm. So first of all that, and then Jesus says, fill the jars with water. That's something they could do. God's not going to ask you for something that you cannot do. Yes. And, and he, he wants your participation in what he's going to do in your life. He's not going to do it in spite of you. He wants your participation. So you will see where God is at work. So how this helped you was um, it really got you to think very deeply about serving. And then that's how it changed you, right? Cause you say you weren't naturally like that. None of us are probably naturally like that. We're naturally like the world. Mm -hmm. And then we rise above to do that. Mm -hmm. That's good. And it wasn't like the servants got praised by everybody. Oh, this wine is so good. 
you know, they, they did it personally. They had to be the ones to do it. It wasn't like Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus tells them, fill these jars with water. And then the servants went and said to some guys outside the party, go fill these jars with water. No, they made it personal. They did mm -hmm. what he said. They didn't just tell somebody. That's the difference. I, you know, even on Facebook, oh, I'm going to share this if I'm really putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. That does nothing mm -hmm. for the most part. I don't That's think not it. it's, it's as likely to antagonize and provoke someone as it is to be helpful mm -hmm. to someone. And also, like, who cares what I think? I'll know someone cares what I think because they'll ask me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and half of the time, probably, they just want me to agree with them. Right. They want to know what you think, as long as what you think is what they think. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Okay, we are back at this wedding at Cain of Galilee. First of all, okay, here's the Messiah of the world. He knows he's got limited time. He's on borrowed time to be able to get his message to the world. And what does he find himself doing? What does he choose to do? They go to a wedding. They time out to celebrate with some other people. That's huge. You know, a lot of us are so driven or we're, we're afraid to just celebrate sometimes. We're you think so? I, you got to tell me more about that because I think that that's all we want to do is celebrate. So you'd have to redefine that because it seems to me like everybody's dying to feel excitement and you know what I mean? And, and, and be entertained and, you know, kind of the opposite of that servant attitude that you were mm -hmm. mentioning. Well, I would say Jesus who came to serve everybody, he laid his agenda aside to say, mean? this is a part of my agenda, not just teaching, not just miracles, not just healings, not just challenging the authorities. He's like, we're going to a wedding. Uh -huh. And I think that that kind of woke me up like we're allowed to enjoy ourselves. God's not opposed to celebrating, taking time, pouring ourselves into celebrating with people. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. I, I, you give me something to think about. Celebrating other people's okay. happiness. Now that I can understand. Because yeah. we don't want to take time for that. It's not about me. You know, this wedding was not about I, me. I gotcha. This wedding was not specifically about God's agenda. Mm -hmm. So we thought. Yes. So we thought. But Jesus pours himself into that. And uh, I love that the servants are the only ones who really saw the miracle. Because that's where I want to be. I want to see the miracles of God. But I'm usually too busy thinking I'm partying or making it about me or trying to manipulate the situation. So I'm near the cool people at the wedding. And, uh -huh. and when I live my life that way, which I tried to do for a long, long time, even if it wasn't evil, I was missing out on where God was really at work. Yeah. Yeah. The opportunity cost, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. In comparison. Mm -hmm. And here's, here's Jesus prepared to bless these people, but he does it while giving him a command, fill the, fill these water jars. God wants to give you blessing, but it doesn't just come like random acts of kindness. You know, there's, there's a level of obedience in the blessing of God. The servants had to move. They had to think in practical ways of how to make it happen. They took care of it personally. They also were pretty prompt about it. 
Mm -hmm. Ooh, that could go good. When, when you want to see God at work in your life, think of things that you, practical ways to help look for the helpers. Yeah. You said something else though, too, because uh, like sloth, that's not good. That's a sin, right? Yeah. When we choose that above everything else and during COVID and lockdown, how many people are there without even knowing it? How many people are, are living in the sloth of loving their quote unquote personal peace? Is that what causes it? Do you think? I mean, probably a variety of causes, but when you get down to the essence of just laziness, you know, what, what, what do you think drives that? <laughs> laziness. I would say can't be bothered. I'm too important for this. Yeah. My, my needs are more important than the needs that I, I'm not looking out there. Yeah. I, I would say apathy. I don't want to have to feel, I don't want to have to work. I don't want to have to sweat. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to do, I want to be in charge of my agenda. Mm-hmm. It's idolatry in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bowing down to something besides yeah. God. Yeah. My, my compassion stops at um, my skin, right? The border Ooh. of my skin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. When the most compassionate thing you could do would be to perhaps find a way to look for the helpers and be one of them. Yeah. Now a, a very welcome byproduct of that is this, you will feel better. Say more. Look, self, the self-conscious emotions we talk about, like they're, they're, they're not fun. They're painful. If you want to feel love, serve someone, right? Give it. And then you will feel that experience that you want. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, and there's plenty of even in the psychology literature showing the positive health benefits of just doing something for someone. Um, We're so lonely and isolated right now. If you want to be connected and if you want people to like you and value you, I'm not saying be taken advantage of. If someone's taking advantage of you and not reciprocating, um, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that private giving where the blessing is just the act of giving and how you feel about it, right? You don't need, like you said, a public uh, acknowledgement of it. You know, you really do get by giving in this world. Uh, but we, we, we're consumers and we've been trained to be consumers. And so what's in it for me attitude causes us to suffer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of our basic identities we've been handed, especially as Americans is you are a consumer, you are a individual, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that. If somebody's really struggling, what if they baked cookies and just dropped them off at their neighbor's? Right. Expecting nothing in return. You're saying that the psycho- the psychology and the research there shows that that is a definite positive in there. Yeah. yeah. One study just used recycling. You know, how do you feel when you recycle people? Because it feels like I'm doing, I'm adding something to the world that's good, a small thing, but th- these small things really do count. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of going back to what we we're saying. Like, I can't solve Afghanistan and nobody would listen to me anyway. If I got into a room with people who were making decisions and I raised my hand, if they invited me and I get thrown out mm-hmm. immediately, I don't know what I'm talking about there, but here's what I can do I can drop off some cookies. I can mow your lawn, the neighbor's lawn, because they're old. And um, yeah. I, I can do those kind of things. And it feels good. It's amazing. We don't, we don't allow ourselves time to serve, to be a helper, because we think we're, our, my schedule um, is too important. I don't want to set aside my plans, my agenda, even if it's to sit on my couch yes. and watch videos. So, so check this out. Every year, that we, every time we look at it, this country becomes more and more narcissistic. Okay. 
And, and narcissism is where you put yourself at the center of things. And I really see it in the political discussions. Like, mm-hmm. look, we're not political scientists. We don't have access to information that's, you know, circulated around the people who are actually in charge of these kinds of things. Right. But if we have a narcissistic epistemology, and that means this, how do I know what I know? Right. Mm. People don't ask that. They just assume that if they think it, it's true or if they feel it, it's true and never take the next step to ask. I know we're getting more and more um, narcissistic and we're only one of 12 countries where Christianity isn't growing. Hmm. There is an absolute positive correlation between that, wow. between that self-focus. Now, I'll tell you where narcissism gets you, though. You get you rejected by other people because nobody likes that kind of selfishness. It makes you angry because you're entitled and um, how can you, how dare you disagree with me, for instance, you feel um, like you've been cheated by life, you know, uh, is, which can also lead to covetedness, right, and envy. Right. Um, and that's all because your, your spirit, your consciousness went right into you and only you. And that's a very small space to occupy in this <laughs> universe. Wow. You know, it's funny. I was just listening to one of our earlier episodes and we did a whole episode on narcissism. Yeah, we did. And it really got me thinking. Yeah, I'm always I'm fascinated by this thing too because I'm I'm seeing it as at the center of all of uh, of a lot of the um, division and um, and even violence. So tell me what you came up with. The idea that we put ourselves in the middle, we think we're in the middle, and everybody radiates out from us, and that's so unrealistic. Yeah. And we're afraid if I don't look out for number one, that somehow I'm going to be diminished somehow. Mm-hmm which is kind of just the opposite of what the research shows, the, psych- the psychology as well as spiritually. It was the original problem of humanity. Yeah, remind us of that. That's important. Gosh, going back to Genesis chapter three, the serpent tempts Eve and says, God doesn't want you to do that because he doesn't want you to become like him. The fact is they already were like him you know, the center of the universe, the true center of the universe, worshipped from which everything else radiates out. And if we get our eyes on what that could look like for us, it messes us up. It does. And it's got consequences for everybody around us. So let's make this point. Let's make even a greater point. All of those, you know, rules and commands and things like that, that you're seeing in the Bible that might turn you off to Christianity, if it does turn you off to, Mm -hmm. to that, if you obey, even if you don't have the metaphysics, even if you don't believe in God, you said, okay, this is how I'm going to live my life. You will absolutely be mentally healthier and your relationships will improve. And I can't think of one of those things that doesn't, uh, you know, commands that doesn't take away risk for me. Mm-hmm. Cause you might get away with some of this stuff for a minute, right? but it will come back on you. They're there to protect us and show us how to live in God's natural order. Mm-hmm. It's the best way. So I don't want to say like, you know, good versus evil, that simple, right? But it is the best way. So let's just look at um, right now, because I mean, our, um, you know, after the 60s sexual revolution, I mean, things have changed tremendously. Now, on the one hand, you go, oh, well, people were oppressed and they couldn't express themselves freely. Then you got to calculate, would it actually be better if the person I married, we shared that experience for the first time together? Right. And I didn't have all the baggage with the other relationships that I had where somebody's mad at you because they got attached to you because of, you know, sexual behavior um, or experiences, let's say, Um, you know, would it be better? Probably so. That's the way I'm looking at. So God's showing us the best way. The kingdom of God is 
it, it's going to be out of reach for us right now, but we strive towards it. So it doesn't mean you're a bad person if you weren't a virgin, because hardly anyone these days statistically marries as a virgin. But I think it's safe to say, without offending anyone, that yeah, if it were perfected, mm -hmm. if my sexuality were perfected, it would have been just me and Kathy the mm. first time, because I imagine what kind of a bonding experience would that have? Something that just intense, you yeah. know, to just us both the first time, but it's very hard to reach. So we don't have to call ourselves names about it or think bad about ourselves because it's really hard to do that. And hardly anyone does it. Mm -hmm. right? Well, you don't want to live out of all your regrets, which we do. I think Christ came to free us up from that. Yes, sir. You know, when it comes to obeying, like fill these water jars up, you know, chances are it's going to be something practical. If, if you want God speaking to you, it's going to be something pretty practical in your life. And it might feel difficult in the beginning, like exercise is really hard to get started. Like, let's talk about mental health, making a phone call, booking an appointment. Yeah. That is so difficult. And yeah. I want to commend people who are take, being proactive. This is that's reflected in this story. Listen to this describes the way of the world. So they have this great wine and Jesus says, draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. They did. So the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. This is verse nine of John chapter two. He didn't realize where this new wine had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Love that. Then he calls the bridegroom aside and he's like, everybody brings out the choice wine first. Then the cheaper wine as the guests have too much to drink but you've saved the best till now. I once read the title of a sermon about this by Charles Spurgeon 150 years ago called Satan's Banquet. The way that our world is, we promise you everything right up front. Mm -hmm. And the best is right now. But the longer you go against what God's design would be, it starts out great, but then it gets old. Oh my gosh. Yes. So Satan's banquet is serve them all the best stuff. Yes. Now we got to get them hooked. Yeah. You know, the second hit versus the first hit and yeah. it goes down from there until I know friends and people who I love get down to the point where they're like sniffing aerosol because they're so addicted. That's so sad. It's crazy. And, and getting in trouble in the drugstore because they're there. They're so addicted. Because what started out as this amazing thing devolved. Yeah. And, and here's the difference. God's banquet saves the best for last. In Satan's banquet, it's going to start out really good and go downhill really fast. But in Jesus' banquet, it starts out okay, but it gets better and better and better. That's been my experience. Amen to that. And God's got only better than anything we've experienced up until now. It's just going to keep getting better. The best wine is yet to come. Let's pray. Yes. Thanks, God, so much for opening up our eyes, how scripture comes alive, how it describes so much of our lives from the, the servants are the ones who knew, looking for the helpers, do what he tells you to do that it's good to take time to celebrate somebody else's happiness with them. And that unlike Satan's banquet, which starts out gold and then you realize is gold painted um, dirt, mm -hmm. 
you have the best yet to come. And we can only imagine how good it's going to be. Help us take the first step. Help us, Lord, to celebrate. Help us to serve. Thanks, God, so much that your word speaks to us day by day. I pray that you help somebody who is listening and praying with us to open their eyes to what it would be like to jump in deep on one of these, on a passage of scripture that could actually transform their lives like this does for us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.